0: We're continuing our sermon series this morning. We began last week called Trustworthy, where we asked questions about why Christianity? really, Why should we trust in this faith? Last week, we asked, why do we trust? And how can we trust in a God we've never seen? And today, we're going to consider, how do we trust? How do we know that God is good? Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. You know, I told her I was going to share this story the second that she told me, because it was so good. It was too good not to. I told her I was going to put it in a sermon. But just like four weeks ago, Mariana Hatch called me after worship. Mariana is a member of our church. She also works in our nurseries. Many of you know Marianna, and she is maybe watched after your children or grandchildren, but not long ago, she was in a minor car accident where she was rear-ended on Old Shell Road. She was up in the Spring Hill area at Old Shell and College Street near Carpe Diem, and a gentleman uh, ran into the back of their car, and so they pulled over there on College Street. Though she was all right, she was understandably a bit shaken up. I mean, if you've ever been in a fender bender or an accident of any kind, it just kind of raises your anxieties and you get a, a little worked up. And, and while they were waiting there, Justin Merrick, who is also a member of our church, saw what was happening because he lives on College Street. He came out to check on Mariana, and he stayed there with her while they were waiting for the police to arrive. And while they were waiting there together, um, the Clement family saw Mariana and Justin there on the side of the road waiting for the police and, and they stopped to check on her and they said, are you all right? And they they made sure she was okay. And then right after that, another family from our church saw them there on the side of the road and they stopped to check on her to make sure she was all right and they they went on. And still one more family from our church saw them there on the side of the road on College Street. And the man that hit her thought, he must've hit a local celebrity. (laughs) He He said, wow, you're really popular. To which Marianna responded, said, no, they just all go to my church. And he was surprised and he says, so what church do you go to? And she said, I go to Dolphin Way United Methodist Church. To which he responded, that's amazing. I have never seen anything like this. And Marianna, not missing the opportunity, made sure to tell a gentleman who just hit her car, mind you, we'd love to have you come visit our church. There's so much about that story I love. I'm not sure if he's made it here for Sunday worship or if you're here with us this morning, welcome. We're glad that you accidentally hit Marianna and that she is okay. But one of the things I love about that is just, it's a testament to what a wonderful church this is, to how this is a church um, that's where you can be known and where you can know others. This is what the church is supposed to be. It's a place that, that cares for you when you're on the side of the road and in need of some help. It's a church that celebrates with you when it's time to celebrate things. And I tell you this story not just to brag on our church, although as a proud pastor, that would be reason enough for me, but rather because today we're asking, how can you trust God is good? And to take the question a bit further, we're asking, how can you trust that God is good when bad things happen in this world? How can you trust a good God in the world where evil exists? The churchy word for this type of conversation is called theodicy, considering why bad things happen if God is good. And this is one of the biggest barriers to faith for many people who either leave the church or never come to begin with, because it's so hard to reconcile these two things. And it's not a new question. We didn't just start asking this question. I mean, trying to understand why bad things happen is as ancient of a question as there is. Take, for example, the gospel lesson we just read. And that Laura was just telling us a little bit more about. The story of Jesus healing a blind man is incredible. I mean, spitting in the mud and wiping it on his eyes, actually, it's kind of gross. I want to be honest. Like, I love Jesus a lot, but I don't want Jesus spitting in the mud and then putting his spit mud on my eyes. But that happened. And it is a strange story for that, but it's kind of a relatable story for why it happened. For for The the impetus for this interaction is something I think we can all relate to. Because what happened was the disciples were walking along and they saw this man sitting on the side of the road who was blind. And they stopped and they asked Jesus, why has this happened? Why did this bad thing happen to this person? And specifically, they wanted to know whose fault it was. They said, Jesus, did this man sin or did his parents sin? that caused him to be blind. And that seems kind of odd to us. It's almost kind of like a cruel question. Like somebody did something wrong and so this guy had to be born blind. But according to the Old Testament, that's kind of how the world was supposed to work. It's a world of what we call retributive justice where if you do good, then good things will happen. And if you do bad, then bad things will happen. If you follow God's commands and the laws, you will be blessed. If you do something bad and break the law, you will be punished. And so sometimes the law said, if your crime, if your sin is great enough, the the consequences of your sins can be passed down to your children. And so it was kind of a normal question for them to ask, well, whose fault was it, Jesus? Was it this man or was it his parents who sinned? And Jesus' response is amazing. Jesus's response opens up a whole new world of possibilities. It changes the entire theological trajectory. And I want you to hear it from the message version, the the Eugene Peterson paraphrase of the Bible. He says this, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do Or to put it another way, if you're looking for the will of God in the illness, you will never find it. If you're looking for God's will in the illness, you will never find it. Jesus is explaining that not every bad thing that happens in the world is somebody's fault. Or is it something that somebody deserves? Or it has some sort of justification? which should be good news for us, right? That should give us hope and encouragement to know that our mistakes don't have to define us. We don't have to carry our faults for eternity. We can be forgiven. And it should be good news that the consequences of our actions don't have to trickle down to our children. However, with this good news, there is, for some traditions, an accompanying thought that is almost as problematic as retributive justice to begin with thought is this, which if, if all the bad things that happen in the world are not the results of something we do, then they must be part of God's plan. We try to sometimes comfort ourselves and others in times of tragedy or pain by saying the bad things that happen in life are all part of God's will. And that my friends, it's a scary proposition It's the same line of thought that leads somebody to believe that everything happens for a reason. And as we said last week, we we don't think that that is true. It's not in the Bible. And if that's something you struggle with or have struggled with, if it bothers you to think that all the evil in the world is just part of God's plan, if it concerns you to think that there's a reason that these bad things happen, then I hope you at the very least will be comforted by the fact that you're in good company, that you're not alone that Christians have been for centuries disturbed by that proposition. And in fact, that idea is not only not in the Bible, it is one for which the theology of our church and many other church traditions outright reject. We just say that's not true. And there's perhaps no better articulation of this rejection than a series of sermons preached by Leslie Weatherhead around the time of World War II, entitled The Will of God, And someone just told me after the last service that Jim Bell actually taught this series 30 years ago. And here we are still using it today because it's that good. Weatherhead was a Methodist preacher in England that was faced with some of the most horrific circumstances a person can minister in. He and his people experienced bombings and they witnessed tragedy and death and destruction regularly. And in the will of God, in those sermons, he offers a few examples of people who are racked with grief and are struggling to understand God in the midst of their pain and his confusion by their insistence that this was all part of God's will. He writes, let me illustrate the confusion. I have a good friend whose dearly loved wife recently died. When she was dead, he said, well, I must accept it. It was the will of God. But he himself is a doctor who for weeks had been fighting for her life. He had called in the best specialists in London. He'd used all the devices of modern science and all the inventive apparatuses by which energies of nature can be used to fight disease. Was he all that time fighting against the will of God? If she had recovered, would he have not called that the will of God? Yet surely we can't have it both ways. The woman's recovery and the woman's death cannot equally be the will of God in the sense of both being his intention. He gives another example of a woman who just lost a young boy in the bombings. And she said, I'm trying now to bow to the inscrutable will of God. And Weatherhead, as a pastor, recognizes that that is not the moment for trying to articulate theology of theodicy. That is not the moment when someone is grieving to try to give the hows and the whys and the what's of it all. That is the time where you sit with somebody and just be present when somebody is hurting the best thing you can do is just be with them, hold their hand, hug them, love them. He recognizes all too well. The best thing we can do in moments of grief and pain is to be present, but also that in the normal times, it is a right and good thing to do for us to consider these matters so that when we are in the midst of the sea of tragedy, we might have an anchor, To hold us firm in the midst of the storm. And so this morning, I'm here to tell you that I do not believe people dying of incurable illnesses or bombing raids are part of the will of God. There are a lot of things that are attributed to the will of God that I do not think are actually God's will. Which brings me to the most helpful thing Weatherhead offers us in terms of considering this thing, God's will. He says, if we're going to think about it, we should think about it in three different ways. The, the intentional will of God, the circumstantial will of God, and the ultimate will of God. And If you'll bear with me, I think all three of these things are worth considering. And I think they will bless you in the same way they have over a million people who have read them before. We know from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that God's intention for creation was simply that it should be good, that all should be good. That was God's intention We were made for perfect communion between creation and creator. And most of all, God didn't want to compel our obedience. We were made to love God from our own free will. That is what God wanted from the beginning. That was God's intention. But that's not how the things went. That's not how the world saw fit to behave. Weatherhead asks, Was it God's intention from the beginning that Jesus should go to the cross? I think the answer to that question must be no. I don't think that Jesus thought at the beginning of his ministry, he came with the intention that men should follow him, not kill him. Friends, we believe that Jesus's death was an act of God's will. It is something we do say. But we believe it in the sense that humanity could only be saved through that act because of humanity's rebellion. That was what was best for us because it saved us from sin and death in a way we cannot do for ourselves. We know that Jesus said, Lord, if it be your will, let this pass from me. And it didn't pass from him. So it must have been part of God's will. However, I, like many others, do not believe that that was God's will from the beginning. That was not God's intentional plan. God laid out a different plan throughout the whole Old Testament about how we can be reconciled to God without somebody having to be crucified for it. But once humanity rebelled against God, once we misused the free will God gave us by rejecting God, we changed the circumstances. Our free will changed the way God wanted things to go. As Weatherhead writes, when circumstances wrought by men's evil setups, such a dilemma that Christ was compelled either to die or to run away, then in those circumstances, the cross was the will of God but only in those circumstances which were themselves the fruit of evil. Once Jesus appeared and the world rejected him, then in those circumstances, the will of God became the cross. Only after everything else failed did Christ have to be crucified. In life, there's God's original desire, the intentional will, the way God wants things to go, But then there's, too, the case that we as humans often choose the opposite of that. With our free will, we decide that we want things to go a different way than the way God intends them. So in those moments, God offers us avenues to continue to choose God's will that were different than the intentional one that was set forth first. In those times, God offers us avenues for us to do his will in spite of the mistakes that we have made. God provides paths for us when we change the circumstances. But both the intentional will of God and the circumstantial will of God are in service of what we call the ultimate will of God, which is what I think most of us mean when we use the term the will of God. What we're referring to is the ultimate will of God that is the purposefulness of God, which in spite of all evil and in spite of everything bad in this world, Weatherhead says, is the will in which nothing of value is lost. The ultimate will of God would be the same will as if the intention was never broken, if the circumstances never changed. The ultimate will of God is the fact that God can never finally be defeated. God's ultimate will means no matter what, in the end, God gets what God wants. We believe, and we said it just the other week, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe that all will be made right when Christ comes again in final victory. We believe in the ultimate will of God, which means we believe that God wins and that there's nothing that we can do or nothing that can be done on this earth that can change that fact. Which brings me to our epistle lesson. The words we heard from Paul just a few moments ago in his letter to the Romans. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it's such an appropriate text to read on so many different occasions. We read it at my grandfather's funeral. We read it at a wedding, I did. We read it in Bible studies. We've read it in high school devotionals. There's something about these particular words from Paul that just draw us in. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear something in these verses that can provide you all the hope in the world. Listen, Paul, he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Everything bad we feel now Every pain that comes in life, every mistake we made, they all fail. They all pale in comparison to the glory that God has in store for each of us. Paul goes on to say, and you're not suffering alone. Whatever suffering you're feeling, whatever pain you experience in life, you are not alone We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present moment. Not only so, but we ourselves, we groan, we hurt, we suffer. And even in those moments when we don't know what to say, when we don't have the words to describe the pain that we feel, God, in those moments, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, speaks in ways that we can't even imagine. we can't generate the words the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. In your pain, you are never truly alone. And then here's the kicker. Verse 28, perhaps the most helpful part of it all. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been according, called according to his purpose. Paul never says that everything in life is good. The Bible never tells you that there won't be bad things that happen in life. In fact, it's the opposite. Paul says, you will suffer. These present sufferings, the pain that you feel, the loss that you grieve, the experience that you have, those are real. But the good news is they do not have the last word. The good news is that no matter what happens in anything, God can make good come from it. God can make good come from even the worst circumstances. Even in the times that seem most unbearable, there might be something beautiful that can be born from it. And so, no, I I do not believe that these things happen so that the other thing can't happen, right? I I don't believe that someone I love dear happened. I I don't believe someone I love dear had to die so that me and my family could get closer, I think my and my family got closer, and that was the good thing that God did out of something that was tragic. I don't think Mariana got in a car accident so that person could witness the goodness of our church. I think that witness and invitation was something good that came out of something bad that happened. I don't know what tragedy you are facing. I don't know what horrible experience you are going through. I don't know what pain you've had previously in your life. But I believe that no matter what, God can make something good come from it. I believe that God wants to make something good come from I believe that what God wants for you is good. The things that God wants for you, the life God wants for you, the will of God is good. And that's what God wants you to experience. God is not bringing these things into your life to punish you. God does not make bad things happen because he thinks you deserve it. God is always trying to find a way to show you his will, even when we change the circumstances. And I believe that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what we do, nothing will ever defeat the ultimate will of God. In the end, and in spite of it all, God wins.